What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Made to Win podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Um, <clears throat> today, man, I'm just excited to jump back into continuing the conversation about why the Bible is not boring, how to read the Bible, jump into making um, Bible study and Bible reading a healthy part of your habits and practices in your life. This whole entire season, season three of Made to Win, has been dedicated to um, this idea of creating healthy practices and rhythms in your life. And so we're kind of touching on some of the, what I feel are the priority uh, practices. And so that's what we've been talking about, what we are going to continue to talk about. If you guys tuned in last week, you know, we had uh, an incredible interview with Pastor Landon McDonald, and he kind of blew our minds on some Bible stuff and kind of helped us understand why it's important, why the Bible is not boring and why we can understand the Bible and why we should understand the Bible if you are a follower of Jesus. And so if you're new to the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Made to Win is all about uh, winning within. It's, it, you know, I tell people that we were made to win, but winning starts within. That means our emotional health, our spiritual health, mental health, basically all make up our soul health. And uh, most people... Uh, focus so much on the external parts of their lives, success, and trying to make sure that the external is taken care of, that we neglect the soul. And that is what matters the most because the more our soul becomes healthy, the more all of our other external things become healthy in our lives. I believe our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, uh, community, um, our response to circumstances and tension and conflict in our lives, all of those things stem from the health of our soul and if we're being honest a lot of people have unhealthy souls and so that's my heart in this podcast is just taking you guys on the journey that I've been on uh, to getting whole in my soul and uh, even though like never be a hundred percent there because you know we're, we're imperfect we endure things as humans that we're waiting on Christ's return to be fully perfect but uh, the journey should be the thing that we enjoy, the adventure of every day seeking to be formed more into the image of Christ, less into the image of ourselves. And so jumping in today, I'm going to give some real practical stuff today. You know, last week was kind of like this 30,000 foot view about Bible study, understanding the Bible, that kind of stuff. So I want to give some practicality today as we talk about uh, reading your Bible and making it a habit or a practice in your life. Now, what I want to say is that a lot of the stuff that I'm going to share with you today, it is not the only way. It is just a way. It's stuff that I do, the stuff that I have done to help me in my journey in reading the Bible and understanding the Bible. People ask me all the time, did you go to seminary? No, I did not. Nothing against seminary. Um, but I did not go to seminary, but I have spent my Christian life dedicated to sitting under teachers that have taught me uh, the Bible, going to, I did, I did some Bible college classes. Um, I'm just a dedicated learner. I'm an avid reader, reader, avid podcast listener. I am just a person who has, when I jumped into reading the Bible, I wanted to know who God was how it applied to my life and the plans he had for me. And so it started off as just a hunger and a desire at 18 years old that has taken, you know, 30 years to continue, uh, not, not 30 years. Wow. Not that long yet, 
but over 20 years, I'm trying to make myself older than what I really am. But, you know, over 20 years of just dedication to understanding reading his word and actually have plans to do some online seminary soon. Um, but that's just to continue my education. I just, I've loved the Bible so much. Um, I never want to stop learning. I, I always tell people like, you know, some people, um, are, are, you know, we talk about being sponges and the whole point of a sponge is to soak up so that you can squeeze it out. And so, you know, if that's true, then a sponge's job is continually soaking up, pouring out, soaking up, pouring out. And that's how I like to view my attitude towards learning the Bible, towards growing in Christ, is that I am a sponge. And my and the sponge's job is not just to soak up, but to also squeeze out. And so today, let's jump in. I want to talk about three things, or excuse me, four things to help you in your daily practice of reading the Bible. So let's jump into number one. Number one, you got to have a purpose. Why are you doing this? Why are you wanting to read the Bible? Can I give you the probably the superficial reasons why most people feel like they have to read the Bible? And that starts with a mind shift right there of like, man, number one, I want you to know you don't have to do anything for Jesus. Um, in fact, the whole invitation to living for Jesus and being a follower of Christ, it is an invitation. It is a come and see. I think the thing that you have to wrestle with is if you call yourself a Christian or a disciple, because there are a lot of people, Christian is just a fad word, in my opinion. It's used one time in the Bible, maybe twice, uh, and it was a word used by non-believers describing believers. Basically, they were just saying like, hey, man, we, you, you guys are a lot like that guy that you called the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Because newsflash, Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ was a title, the anointed one. Jesus the anointed one, the Christ, not Jesus Christ, you know, belonging to the Christ family. But anyways, uh, but um, you got to have your purpose. And most people will read the Bible because they feel like they have to. They feel like that's their Christian duty. Like, I, I need to make time to read the Bible. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to remember or internalize or do anything with it. But hey, at least I read the Bible because that's what, you know, somehow they feel like that is their Christian duty. That's what's going to get them closer to heaven, right? The second reason why is to check a box. Some people are compulsive and they feel like they can't accomplish anything or achieve anything. If you're a three on the Enneagram, those achievers out there, you got to have the box, right? Like prayed this morning, check, read my version Bible, check, you know, you're just the box checker. And the problem with the box checkers is you're doing it for your own achievement instead of for the right reasons to know God and to know his word and to apply that to your life and, and how and the reason why you're here and how your your purpose fulfills God's kingdom and his plan for your life, if that makes sense. And <clears throat> excuse me, the third reason why some people read it is just for information. Like some people just love being Bible nerds. I know so many people who can quote the Bible but are terrible Christians uh, because they think somehow that having Bible information is the same thing as having transformation. But you cannot be transformed by Bible information. You are transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God at work inside your heart, inside your soul. And so when I say have a purpose, a couple of things to, to, to take note of is that one, we are supposed to read the Bible for intimacy, not information. It is to know 
God, to know the heart and character of God. Everything about the scripture points to who God is. Unfortunately, most of us read through the lens of wanting to know more about ourselves. There's plenty of self-help, self-help books, plenty of personality tests to, to help you with that stuff. The Bible is, is, I want you to understand something. It is not about you. Now, you are in the story as a part of God's redemption plan, but the Bible does not surround you. That's why most people will read every Bible story and they spend all of their time trying to make themselves the hero of that story. You know, it's funny when we talk, when you hear preachers preach about David and Goliath, it's funny how we're always trying to um, apply our lives to David or how does David apply to me? You know what I never hear anybody preach about or say is that maybe I'm not David in the story. Maybe I'm Goliath. Maybe I'm the arrogant, prideful, cocky, um, spoiled, uh, rebellious um, pagan who has rebelled against God and his people, um, and I need to be knocked down a, a notch. I, I need to be, you know, knocked down by, by a stone upside the head. You know, like people don't like doing that because, it, unfortunately, our tendency is to make ourselves the hero of every story. You know, when you read Matthew chapter 7, right? Like if you go back and read Matthew 6, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. He says, this is how you pray right? You know, our our Father in heaven, uh, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, glory forever. Amen. Right? He tells us how to pray. But then you skip over to the next chapter, and he, he starts diving in to what to pray for, and who you're praying to. And he says this in Matthew 7. He says, if you seek, you shall find, right? He says, if you ask, it will be given. If you knock, the door will be opened. And then he goes on to say, which of you as parents and you being evil, you being, in other words, you're not holy like God, if you're child asks for a piece of bread you're not going to give him a stone and he's like and if you being not perfect and and not holy will give your children good things don't you think the father in heaven wants to give you good things you know my son all of my kids you know at a certain age right well probably through most of their childhood and teen years if they get up first thing in the morning you know what they're probably not doing when they come to you they're not going, Mom, Dad, oh, my gosh. I just honor y'all. You guys are amazing. I love you so much. I just want to sit next to you and enjoy being in your presence. They don't, do they? What do they normally do? My son, the first thing he gets up, Dad, can I, can I watch TV? Dad, can I play my game? Dad, can I, can I have some breakfast? Dad, can you fix me some pancakes? Dad, can I have cinnamon rolls? Dad. It's the request start, right? And and what does Jesus say? Because like, here's what you would do as a parent, right? Most of us, like if you feel like, yeah, I mean, I would love for, like, yeah, let's have some breakfast. I'll fix you some cinnamon rolls. Or, hey, maybe let's not watch TV yet. Let's let's read a book together. Let's, let's read the Bible together, whatever. My point is, is like you're not sitting there going like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you didn't address me as father or mother or you didn't do. 
like you're going like, man, if it's something that's good for you and I can, I can get that for you right now, I'm going to say yes, right? The heart of a father, the heart of a parent. And so what Jesus is teaching us in this text is that the heart of God is that he wants to give you good things. Now, how many of you know there are times when your kids ask for good things that you tell them no, right? Because you're like, no, like you can't have the third, you know, popsicle or the, the third piece of cake, right? Maybe after dinner or you've already eaten that. You're going to eat that tomorrow. Why? Because you know something they don't that this is rotting your teeth, that, you know, you're going to end up with diabetes, whatever it may be, right? Like, you know something they don't, that you're protecting them for something. So the point is this, when I read the Bible, it's not just to go, okay, I can repeat this prayer. Okay, yeah, ask, I'll ask. Okay, yeah, knock, I'll knock. It's saying Jesus is trying to teach us the heart and character of God, that he is a loving father who wants to give, he wants you to ask and he wants to give good things to his children that will better them and bring him glory. So do you see how, like, just from reading those few verses in Matthew 7, when I have a purpose, and my purpose is to know God, now I'm reading it from a different lens. I'm saying, God, help me to know you. Because the first thing is is saying, like, God, I, I want to know you as I read your word. I want to know your heart. I want to know your character. Because too many times we read the Bible and read what people did and attribute their character to God's character. And we talked a little bit about this last week on last week's episode. Like The Bible is sometimes uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. Not everything prescribed in the Bible is is backed by God or supported by God. Like some people have issue with the Bible. Well, Solomon had hundreds of wives. Well, God didn't prescribe that. He's just describing that Solomon was crazy with women, right? And so sometimes that gets us mixed up because we're, we're reading things that don't line up with how we want to live our lives or how our lives should look, and we're not reading it for the purpose of, God, I want to know your heart throughout this story. And when you read things like that, you read, there was a lot of jacked-up people in the Old Testament that God still used to accomplish his purpose and plan. And guess what? We are still just as jacked up and still just as much, just as vital to God's purpose and plan of trying to, to, to establish his kingdom here on earth and to redeem mankind who has been separated by their sin. So now do you see how like <clears throat> when my purpose or my why to read the Bible is different, it changes how I do things. It's the difference between like why you take your wife on a date or why you marry somebody in the first place. Like when you forget your purpose, then it becomes routine. When you forget your purpose, then you start doing things for the wrong reasons. And so when I remember that my why, you know, when I remember that every day I need to make sure I have a conversation with my kids. I need to make sure I spend one-on-one time with my kids. Why? Is that so that I can check a box and say I'm a good dad? Or is it that I truly want to know their heart? I truly want to build a relationship with them. So just have a purpose. Change your purpose because so many times we seek the, the hand of God, not the heart of God. And when you understand God's character, when you walk through trials, when you walk through temptations, when you walk through suffering, when you walk through grief, I always hold on to the character of God. And as long as I can hold on to the character of God, his word will begin to make sense to me. And life, even when it doesn't make sense, 
I can still make sense of God. I know that there is a bigger story being written, and I know that his glory is going to happen. I know that he is with me because his character, the, the scriptures tell me his character is that he weeps with those who weeps. He grieves with those with gr- who grieve. He is near and dear to the broken-spirited and the broken-hearted. So know your purpose. Number two, have a plan. So we have a purpose of reading the Bible, which is to know God and to be transformed by his word to become more like his son, Jesus. Two, I have a plan. And so, um, you know, when I, when I, most of us say like, well, I, I don't have time to read the Bible. And here's what I would push back on. We talked a little bit about this last week also, is that whatever you desire, you will make time for. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers when they first came out, like some of you, like you're just spoiled because you grew up in the, you know, the 2010s and beyond. Um, cause our world drastically has changed in the last 13 years, as opposed to the first 20 before that I grew up in, you know, I grew up in the 1900s. Okay. That's so what I tell my kids. Like, I graduated in the 1900s, but I grew up in both worlds. I grew up before technology was a big thing i grew up when you still had landlines you still had you know if you wanted to talk to somebody most of the time you got wrapped up in the you know the wire trying to talk to somebody the cord and uh and then i also like as soon as i graduated high school stepped into the world of mobile phones right like so i've lived in both generations um and and kind of been a part of that and i can remember like used to if you wanted to not miss your favorite TV show, one, you either made plans like, hey, we're, we're going to be at home at whatever time to watch this show because it comes on at 7 p.m. When is it like, if, if you didn't, like, you were just screwed. You had to wait until they showed reruns, until the season was over with, and you had, they showed reruns late at night or, or whatever. You'd have to wait. And, but then, you know, or here's what we used to do. My wife and I, when we were youth pastors, this is not that long ago, y'all. This is like 2005. We got married in 2003, so yeah, 2005. Uh, two of our favorite shows were Survivor and Smallville. Well, Survivor used to be on Sunday nights, and then they moved it to Wednesday nights. And we're like, crud, like, we can't watch Survivor now. So here's what we did. I kid you not. You could set it up on your VCR like if you're if you don't know what a VCR is, go ask your grandfather, or whatever. But VCR, like you know, these cassette tapes, we'd have to put a blank tape in there and set a timer to record our show so that we wouldn't miss it. And then eventually, they came out with this amazing thing called Devo, right, or D- DVR, and that was where you could like you know, basically, you know, like on your phone, whatever, you could set a time to record off of cable TV, record whatever you want to do. That changed the game, right? Because now you know, like, man, we can make time at any time to go watch our favorite show. You know, if if we were busy on the night that the show came on, we could come home, and if it was at 11 o'clock, it didn't matter. And then, of course, now Netflix and all the streaming um, channels have, have even changed that game. Like, DVR is not even that important anymore. The point, the point is this, is that you would have done whatever it took to carve out whatever time that you had to watch your favorite show. It didn't matter if it was midnight. It didn't matter if it was Saturday morning. You now get to choose when you want to watch your favorite show. And that's what I want to tell you. There is no wrong time to read the Bible. But here's what I want to let you know. If you truly desire to do it, you're going to carve out the time to do it. You're going to make an appointment with God. 
you know, it looks different for everybody. You know, not everybody is an, an, a morning person. And some people think that's the only time you can connect with God. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes God don't want to talk to any of y'all. Some of y'all, the way y'all, way y'all wake up, okay? God's like, hey, why don't you talk to me after some coffee? Because I don't like this version of you that I'm have, trying to have a conversation with, right? Some of you are night owls. You're, you're late night people. So why not do it then? Whenever you are most able to engage. For me, you know, my morning looks like this. I get up at 4. Um, I usually go to the restroom, you know, wash my face, whatever. I go and I, I'll take a, a full glass of water with a little bit of apple cider vinegar and a little bit of lemon juice, and I down that. You know, it helps get the digestive system going. It just kind of wakes me up, too. There's a little bit of that that citric acid actually works kind of like caffeine a little bit. It gets me going and awake. But I will get to my place. It's usually on my couch or it, when the weather's warm, it's on my back porch. I love being on my back porch when, when I'm able to. And the first 10 minutes is just silence, just getting quiet with the Lord and asking him to prepare my heart to read his word. And then I have a journal and I journal, you know, start with three things. I start out writing what I'm grateful for, usually five things that I'm grateful for. And guys, that's literally any little thing. Some people make a big deal about that. Like, I can't think of three things I'm grateful for. Well, you're not living life. You know, like, I'm grateful for the sunset. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for my spouse. I'm grateful for coffee. Like, the, God wants to know even the silliest little things. You don't have to just be grateful for, like, man, we got a $100 bonus this week. Be grateful for the small things and write it down. It's a reminder. And we shared this last week that gra- there's science behind gratitude, that it actually it does something to your brain. It does something to your body. You're actually a more joyful person and it, 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 it helps erase anxiety and depression. It's, it's been proven. Um, and then I write down uh, just a short prayer. Like maybe it's a prayer that I have for my kids. Here's something powerful that a friend of mine shared with me that I started applying to my own life. But in Job chapter 1, the Bible says that Job made a sacrifice. He sacrificed a bull every day for each one of his kids in case they had sinned before the Lord. And the Bible says that was his daily practice. Wow, right? In other words, he went to God on behalf of his children every single day. What a dad, what a man of God, right? And so every morning I start my prayer with for, for both of my girls, my son, and my wife. And I write that down to remind me when I look back every day, I need to be praying for my family, praying for my kids, that they would discover their purpose in God, that if they sinned, they would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that their hearts would be tied to his, that they would be drawn to him. Um, and then I start reading uh, my Bible, and I read one, sometimes two chapters a day. Um, and so it's, it's that's like just one chapter a day. And then, um, and we'll talk about this in just a moment. Um, and then I journal about that and we'll talk about that in just a few moments, but I just want you to know, just to have a plan. In other words, set aside time to read your Bible. And that could literally be 15 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. And for some of you, it may be five, like take five. Read a few verses. Don't you don't have to read. Remember, it's about quality, not quantity. So many of us get hung up on how much of the Bible. I think that will grow. Like the more you do it, the more you'll desire to read more. Before you know it, you'll go from a chapter to two chapters to three chapters, 
whatever it may be. Uh, but remember, you're reading it to know God for intimacy, not information. And if that's true, sometimes five minutes with Jesus is better than an hour spent with Jesus that you didn't pay attention or weren't fully engaged or doing it for the wrong reason. Number three, so we talked about have a purpose, have a plan. Number three, have a method. Have a method. And that's the acronyms that I wanted to share. Here's a few that you can use. I've used all of these. There's the acronym of TIME, so T-I-M-E. T is the text, so you read the text, whatever it is you're reading. The I is immerse. In other words, immerse yourself in the text. Ask the Holy Spirit to put you in that time of history. Think about the surroundings of the text, the people, the culture, um, what part of the world they were in, what they were dealing with, you know, governments, All those different types of things. And then M is ministry. In other words, like how is this ministering to me right now? What is this speaking to me? And then the E is encounter. Like how can I, how am I encountering this in my everyday life? How am I putting it into practice? But my favorite, this is the one that I do, is what's called the acronym HEAR, H-E-A-R. And so this is uh, my discipleship group. This is what we are doing together. This is how we study the Bible every week together. We're walking through Matthew currently. So we're doing one chapter a week out of Matthew, and all seven guys are doing their here journal and coming and sharing that at the Bible study. So the H is highlight. Like as you let's say you read Matthew chapter three, and you're asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, just point out one verse, maybe two verses out of this chapter that I'm going to write down. I'm going to write that verse down. And then the E is explain that verse. Now, when I say explain the verse, I don't mean make it mean what you want it to mean. I mean use commentaries, use studying, use context, use history to figure out what is happening with this verse. And you write down some bullet points of what this verse literally means and maybe some some context. And then the A is what principle can I apply to my life from this? And then the R is response. What is my response to this text, to God? Most of the time it's a prayer, right? So I'll give you a quick example, one that I just shared this past week, uh, and I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version to make this quick because I want this to be easily applicable for you guys. Um, So we walked through Matthew chapter 2. I highlighted verse 23, and it was so, the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth, this fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Now that seems like a very insignificant verse until you realize when it says he will be called a Nazarene, no one respected Nazarenes. In fact, if you were from Nazareth, it would be like telling a White House person that you're from Portland or telling a Portland person you're from Westmoreland or telling a Westmoreland person you're from Macon County or telling a Macon County person you're from Salina, right? Like every small town has another smaller town that they make fun of and despise and and think that those people are ignorant or whatever. Nazareth was that town. And I thought that's phenomenal that, that God would say, my, my son, the savior of the world's actually going to be associated with the town that not many people respected or held into a high esteem. And so I started thinking about just the life of Jesus, and I came up with two words, nothing beautiful. Like there was nothing beautiful about 
Jesus or his ministry. In fact, Isaiah 53 tells us he was not, we were not attracted to his appearance. In other words, he was not a, a man that we looked at him like so many people were attracted to his looks. They were attracted to his message. And I think God did that on purpose, right? And um, I love this quote that I wrote down in my study um, when I was reading a book um, on prayer. And this quote was so powerful. It says, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And I thought, my God, like Jesus did not attract us to him through just his miracles or some sort of like, you know, he wasn't just like this beautiful. And I think this is what's getting people so tripped up is that you, maybe you came to faith or started going to church because you were attracted to the superficial things. And what God wanted to do was attract us to him. He didn't want any superficial thing attracting us to being his followers. He wanted his message and the character of God, the father to be alone. That's it. Like, I want you, God. I mean, because you think about the entire life of Jesus. Like, you are born in Bethlehem. Nothing beautiful about this small town. Born in a manger. Nothing beautiful about that. Visited by shepherds and astronomers. Nothing beautiful about that. Simple people. Not even respected in that day. He never attended Beit Midrash, which was rabbi school. Uh, He wasn't impressive to look at. The Bible tells us that. He congregated with sinners. Not, Not a beautiful look. Uh, he was a Nazarite. He rode in on a donkey, y'all, and he died in between two thieves. The Bible says he died with rebels. He was counted as a rebel, as a thief, as a criminal. He died a criminal's death. What a powerful illustration to us. And so the point that I, that I took away from it was that what attracted me to God, what attracts me to God, because whatever you win people with is what you have to do to keep them. And that's why consumeristic Christianity fails all the time because maybe you were attracted to God because maybe he showed up and he, you know, he was going to be your genie in a bottle. He was going to answer a prayer. And if you, if you did that and you were going to serve him the rest of your life, maybe you showed up and you really loved the music. You really loved the preaching. You really loved the coffee. You really love all the consumeristic things, but you were never attracted to the gospel and to God himself. And so, that could be the thing that's that's gotten you out of church or gotten you out of the faith. And so for me, do you see how deep this went on one verse? Like I keep going, like it's a whole message. But so my response was a prayer to him, just saying, God, like draw me to you, you alone. And I just thanked him for dying for sinners like me because all through what we see in Isaiah 53 and Matthew 1, 2, or the Gospels is that Jesus associated with the people that everyone else who's attracted to the to success power eliteness aesthetics all of those people oppress the people that god actually came to associate with wow right so that's how the here journal works you know you highlight the verse you explain it you at you really dig deep like how does this apply to me in my life, what are the principles that that God's trying to teach me through this as I learn about his heart and I learn about his character? And then what's my response to that? Do I need a, do I need to confess? Do I need to confess a sin? Do I need to confess to somebody else? Do I need to ask for forgiveness? Do I need to go forgive somebody? Do I need to hold on to a promise? What's my prayer in that? So I hope you see like it it turns like one verse into this 
intimate moment with God. And that's the point of the HERE acronym is getting you to that that moment with God. <clears throat> and so those are two ways that you can read the Bible. I always tell people, read the Bible with all of your senses. In other words, like try to really listen to what the Holy Spirit's speaking. Try to really see what's going on behind the scenes. Look the chapter before, the chapter after, whatever you're reading, get full context to what's happening. Um, and, and really kind of just uh, dive in and put yourself, your whole emotions into what you're reading. Um, it's a game changer for sure. And so have a method. You know, like I said, make sure you start out with prayer, just asking. It's a short prayer, just asking God, God, like reveal yourself in the text to me. Um, you know, there's so many different ways to... To, to do that. So I encourage you to do that. Read through the Psalms. I think the Psalms, I, I tell people, uh, mind the gaps and gaps is an acronym. I love acronyms because they're just a reminder of a process, right? So the gaps is, I think the, the most vital things to read. If you don't know where to read is the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the G. The A in gaps is, uh, Acts, the book of Acts, because you see the New Testament church, how it was formed, how it behaved, how it was, how, what the model there was. And then the first P and gap is Psalms. Like I think the Psalms, you could spend, you know, I, I really have, I spent a whole year just constantly reading the Psalms. And the thing you'll find beautiful about the Psalms is like you can start using some of those as prayers. Just reading a Psalm out loud can be a prayer. Uh, Proverbs. Man, I think James tells us that wisdom is the one thing that every time you ask for it, God will give it. And it's the book of wisdom in the Bible. And I want to remind you, when you read the book of Proverbs, you need to remember that it's not a book of promises, but a book of principles. The problem that some people have when they read Proverbs is they think, well, the Bible says, you know, if you raise up a child in the way they should go they won't depart from it but then those same people also had children that walked away from their faith and so then they would say well i thought that promise was true well it's not a promise it's a principle and what it's telling us is like if you practice this wisdom in your life your life is going to be 75 to 80 percent better it's not always going to work out 100 percent. it's not always going to be foolproof but these are principles to live by so when you read the proverbs you're finding this wisdom these ways to live by that actually leads you to this abundant life. It may, your life will be better. Will it work out perfectly? No, but it will be better if you live by this wisdom, right? So that's mind the gap, G-A-P-P. Uh, so the Gospels, the Book of Acts, Psalms, Proverbs. If you don't know where to read, like read those over and over again, and you're going to get so much from them. I've read through the Bible s- several times I'm telling you, every time I study a different book, I get something fresh because I go into it for intimacy, not information. I have a plan, and I have a method. Uh, So I encourage you to do that. Even if you're not like a write-down-something person or journal person, maybe type something on your phone. Do a voice memo of what you're getting from the text. I don't know. Or just, you know, process it yourself. I think the biggest thing is, are you, are you learning and understanding the character and heart of God? Are you growing in obedience to what the Word says? And are, are you spiritually being formed into the image of Christ? If you, can, if you can do those three things without writing stuff down, oh man, all glory to you. I can't. You know, and 
I love having just journals and stuff to look back on. Like if I forget something, I can look back on what I learned. Uh, I got stuff for, for my kids to see because like I'm writing down stuff. Like it was cool. I was able, I, I bought a new Bible uh, two years ago, a preaching Bible because I had preached with the same Bible for so many years, all through being a youth pastor and half of being a church planner. And um, all my highlights, markings, writings, all that stuff, I was able to give that Bible to my oldest. So in another five years or so, I'll probably give this Bible to my next kid and so on and so forth. And now my daughter, she said it's really cool when she reads the Bible, she sees the notes that I took. And so some of it's not even just for you, but it's how do I help my kids or other people understand the scriptures as I read through it? So have a purpose, have a plan, have a method. And again, those are my methods. doesn't mean it's the method. And last but not least, have some help. We all need help. I've needed help all through the years. When I was first, when I first became a Christian, I had a room full of, um, I call them my stockroom mamas. I worked at Goody's department store in Gallatin. And I had like three ladies back there who were seasoned veterans as believers. They were moms. They were, some of them were grandmas. And I remember they would come to work. They would give me Bible studies. They would, we would talk about the Bible. I would ask them questions. They would help answer my questions or direct me into the right direction. The the point is you need a community of people to study the Bible with. You cannot do it on your own. That's why I got, if you remember the story about Philip and the eunuch, the Bible says that God, the Holy Spirit led Philip to this this uh, chariot, and here was this guy. He was reading in Isaiah. He was actually reading Isaiah 53. And Philip says, do you understand what you are reading? And he says, no, I need help. And so after a few minutes of him explaining the Scripture, what happens? The Bible says that he was ready to be baptized. He said, look, there's some water was keeping me from being baptized. And Philip baptizes him on the road. And that's just a reminder that we all need help understanding. I still need help understanding. I don't know all there is to know. We will, And that's the thing is like ancient Jews, they never read the scriptures or the Old Testament with the intention for it to be a problem to solve. They read it as a mystery to discover. And when you change your perception of like, I'm trying to get it all figured out, what you were really saying is I'm trying to be God. And there's some things that you just can't. But when you understand the heart, again, it goes back to the purpose. When you understand the heart and character of God, you realize he is God, I am not. And it does not matter if it makes sense to me. What matters is is that he is in control. I, I, can, I can trust him. I trust him to be in control, not me, right? So you need people, but you need resources. And I'll share with you some resources I use. If you have not downloaded the Bible Project app, Oh my gosh. I'm going to tell you something. It's good for kids too. Like it's, it's like a, it's usually every book has a video. There's so many videos, but they make these little videos. Some of them are like six minutes long. Some of them are eight to 10 minutes long, but they're like drawn out, very descriptive, uh, very engaging. Like I said, it's, it's engaging for kids and adults alike. Um, but it's one of the hands down, top resources you need to download because you know let's say if you're going to go read the book of Matthew you can watch that video first before reading Matthew and it gives you insight on into what you're reading so download the bible project there's also a free bible commentary app called the enduring word i use that a lot 
It is a free Bible commentary, uh, and it's an app form that you can just – and it just breaks down. Like as you're reading through Matthew, you can go like verse 1, and it will have tons of information on one verse. Like it will take you 30 minutes just to get through one chapter if you were reading just through the notes and the commentary on, on Matthew 1 or whatever it is that you're reading. And so there's a lot of trusted Bible commentaries out there. Um, Henry commentaries are really good. Um, there's just so many books and resources that are incredible. I think I shared with you guys last week, Pastor Landon McDonald has a YouTube channel uh, sharing Bible studies, different things like that. They're usually pretty short, four to six minutes long. Um, there is uh, Lectio 365. I absolutely love that app. That is L-E-C-T-I-O. Um, Lectio 365. And there is usually a morning devotion and an evening devotion. But it is what most people don't understand is that the scriptures are also used to pray through. And so it's a beautiful 8 to 10 minutes in the morning, 8 to 10 minutes at night. The, at night, um, it's what's called the examine prayer, E. X-A-M-E-N. And it's basically where you look over your day, you see where God's been good, you see how God's interacted with you, and you also look over your day and see where maybe you've sinned or things you need to confess, and then you receive God's forgiveness. But it's the beautiful, like, go-to-sleep app uh, for the night one. Actually, my son loves to listen to Lectio 365 before he goes to bed. He's he's almost eight years old, and he's like, can we listen to Lectio, please? It's so calming, soothing, and it's a prayer and Bible reading, and, man, you fall asleep. Some people are like, man, well, I fall asleep praying, fall asleep reading my Bible. Well, you know, do you get upset if your kid falls asleep in your lap? You know, I, I think that's the thing is like, man, if you're spending time with the Father, he's pleased. And so don't miss that. Lectio 365 is is, is powerful. Uh, Bible Project, like I said, you got Landon McDonald, you got the Enduring Word Commentary. Uh, man, just it, it, you can literally Google anything, like whatever you're on, Google it, and you can get resources, books, things like that to help you. Uh, for me, it helps to write it down, process it, pray through it, uh, and apply it, all those different things. So I hope this has been helpful today. Um, my, my encouragement, though, is start somewhere, start slowly. Uh, I always like to tell people to start if they don't know where to start in the Bible. I just say start with the Gospels. A lot of people say start with the Gospel of John, and there's a reason behind that. You know, it's you know it, it, each Gospel is told from a different perspective for a different purpose, and John is a easier to kind of like digest mostly, and it's very theological. But um, man, I just love starting the Gospels, just reading about the work and life of Jesus, uh, his his life death, burial, and resurrection, which is the gospel, right? And then, of course, like I said, gospels, Acts, Psalm, Proverbs, but also at some point, you just need to start from the beginning. And because here's what I'll tell you, is like you need to understand more than anything the story of the Bible more than worrying about understanding the stories in the Bible. And here's the story of the Bible. It's one meta narrative, one story, and that is in Genesis 1 and 2, God designed a kingdom and a world where humans were going to live in it. We were made in his image to reign and rule. As he reigns in heaven, we're going to reign on earth. The problem is in Genesis 3, we decided we were going to reign and rule on our own. 
And that created what was called sin and a divide between us and God. And that sin kept us from relationship with God. We were kicked out of that opportunity to reign and rule. And so then Genesis, after Genesis 3, all the way to Genesis 22, you actually see the prophecies and the plan God had to redeem mankind. And the rest of the Bible is God showing us this intricate story to point to one person. And that person is Jesus. Every story in Scripture eventually points back to Jesus. And the ultimate story is this. Man is made in the image of God. You are loved beyond anything you could imagine. You are his favorite creation. But we decided to rebel and rule and be God of our own lives. So God spent the rest of the time showing us how he was going to redeem this imperfect humanity. And he came down in the flesh to show us how to live as intended in Genesis 1 and 2. And he spends the rest of Genesis showing us how he's going to get us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3 destroys the world. We, we Everything you see in the world now is a product of the sinful choices we've made. It's our decision to rebel and be the kings of our lives. But he reminds us all through Scripture that he created a redemption plan to show us how to live as he intended in Genesis 1 and 2, and that one day when he comes back, everything will be made back to its original intent. Go read Revelation 21. It is almost mirror to Genesis 1 and 2. It is back to the ultimate intent of the garden, in in fellowship with God, in fellowship with one another, in unity, love, peace, joy. That is ultimately the story of the Bible. God loved the world so much he sent his only son to die on the cross so that whoever should believe shall have eternal, everlasting life. And if that is not enough for you to go, man, that's, I really want to know that, God. I re- that right there gets my attention. Then maybe what attracted you to church in the first place wasn't the gospel. Maybe it was all the things you thought would make your life better. And that was an encouraging self-help message. Or, you know, I, I love, I heard this quote yesterday that I thought was so powerful. You've heard of the prosperity gospel, right? Like the prosperity gospel is send me $100 and God will answer your prayer, right? It's the give God more and you'll get more in return. But there's also this dangerous gospel that is happening today, and it is the emotional prosperity gospel. And the emotional prosperity gospel is everything in your life has to feel good. And if it doesn't feel good, it's not God. If it, if it doesn't line up with your feelings, your emotions, and then here's the thing. Most of us are so unhealthy. Most of us are un healthy, emotionally adults. We are adults living with kids' emotions. That's why you see grown men and women arguing on a computer platform, right? That's why you see people being rude to one another and can't even be kind to one another. We're still children emotionally because we are stuck in some sort of wound or trauma or sinful pattern. So I say all that to say, like, I don't know if that's you, where you just, you know, you fell for the emotional prosperity gospel. And so you left church when somebody hurt your feelings. You left church when you were offended. You left church when God didn't answer your prayers. You left church when you just didn't feel like the goosebumps during worship anymore. 
you probably weren't attracted to the gospel or to God. You were attracted to the emotional prosperity gospel. So I want to challenge you, encourage you. Again, I, I love what Pastor Landon said last week. No shame. You know, like if if you've been in church for a long time and reading the Bible hasn't been a priority, no shame. But now you're being informed. Now you're being you're given some help, some resources, and we plan on doing a series on on the Bible soon, and uh, I'm excited about that. That'll help our church, but I think as a follower and disciple of Jesus, how can we ever grow in our formation and discipleship to Christ if we are not falling in love with his word, his heart, his character, and who he is, and getting to know who he is? Because most of us will complain that we never hear God speak, but yet we never open up his word. So, um, real quick, one more time, keys to victory and uh, kind of a breakdown and a review. One, have a purpose for reading the Bible. Know why you're doing it. Uh, number two, have a plan. Number three, have a method. And number four, have some help. So I love you guys. Remember, we were made to win, but winning starts.